Hi everyone and welcome to today's Pact podcast. My name is Stacey, a sales name manager here at Pact. And I'm Rich and I'm a product manager here at Pact. And today we've been talking to cybersecurity researcher Baptiste Robert. Now Baptiste is perhaps better known by his Twitter pseudonym Elliot Alderson, yes a nod to Bad Robot, where he tweets from the handle at FSocially. Baptiste has been in the recent months investigating the issue of misinformation on social media platforms and the use of bots by mysterious political agitators and other organisations to shape online discourse. And as well as that, he also looks at security issues in a wide range of applications. And as we'll hear, Baptiste should be highly valued by many companies, but all too often his insights and research go unheard until he goes public. With his experience investigating a range of cybersecurity issues from bots to data leaks, Baptiste is exceptionally well placed to explain not only the reality of InfoSec research today, but also the ways in which digital spaces and applications are shaping our political and social reality. My name is uh, Baptiste Robert. I'm a French independent security researcher. I'm very active on Twitter under the pseudonym F Society. Uh, for the last two years, I publishing vulnerabilities I found on different applications, uh, Android applications in general or website, sometimes governmental website. I, I used to work a lot on uh, mobile application, uh, Indian. Android application on Indian governmental website, and especially on the, the ADA program, governmental program, which is the biggest identification program in the world. Uh, right now, I'm working as, as an Android developer, security engineer, a mixed in these two positions for a startup based in London. In my day-to-day job, I used to reverse engineer a different messaging application like WhatsApp, WeChat, and we are creating a, a system to be compliant to GDPR for company who are using this kind of messaging application in the in a business context. And uh, previously, I was working for European phone makers, so I I used to work for Intel. I was in different team, and I uh, I worked also for Doro, which is the Swedish phone makers. Uh, my main responsibility was to create some applications. So I was an Android developer or sometimes I was responsible of doing some customization on, on the Android image. So I was creating some custom firmware uh, in order to meet the requirement of the company. Great. That's a really good overview, I think. So uh, the kind of main sort of question, I guess, I kind of wanted to sort of get into was, so obviously you're a security researcher um, and I kind of just wanted to know like how do you kind of um, approach your research how do you kind of pick things to research how do you kind of identify things Um, what sort of interests you as well like how do you kind of go about that process of sort of almost like picking targets or picking issues to tackle so this is a a question people asked uh, a lot uh, regarding how I pick my targets I don't really have a clear process to be to be honest on uh I'm finding my target on Twitter mainly because I have a lot of followers. So sometimes uh, a lot of followers is coming at the same time saying, oh, can you check this application? 
this Android application seems interesting. Uh, sometimes uh, even other security researchers who are afraid to report a vulnerability come to me and say, okay, I found something, but I'm a little bit afraid to, to report this vulnerability to the company. Can you do it for me? So uh, this is another way. I mainly have two uh, subjects I'm interested in finding vulnerability in Android application. And uh, the second topic is doing some uh, analysis uh, of the misinformation on social networks. So this last month, I I did some analysis on hashtags. So I was capturing, uh, I captured a million of tweets on trying to understand what is happening uh, under the hood and the if the traffic we are seeing on, on Twitter is genuine or not. And sometimes you can find some uh, weird profile, uh, this kind of thing. That's That sounds really interesting. And, and kind of on that, what sort of areas, I guess, of sort of misinformation have you sort of been tackling specifically? So there is multiple issues for uh, for this topic. Uh, the first issue is to be able to get the data. Uh, at this moment, as far as I know, there is no tool which is able to get data from Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, and other social networks at the same time. If you want, it's super easy, and this is why we are seeing more and more uh, Twitter analysis. It's super easy to get tweets because uh, Twitter exposed his API and is giving the possibility to people to get tweets very easily. Uh, but for example, it's more complicated to get Facebook posts and it's more complicated to, to get uh, YouTube comments. So the first issue is, is to create a tool which is able to get the data you want to have. And when you solve this issue, the second, uh, the second part is the analysis. And in order to analyze the data, it's not just statistic. Uh, there is a social context uh, behind uh, this data. When you have one million of tweets, for example, you have different ways to look at the data. And the way you will look at the data, you will see something uh, different. It's super complicated to do some conclusion. And for example, we have a lot of issue to detect uh, bots in general because uh, you can have some hint that, okay, this Twitter profile is tweeting every hour, but you, you are not 100% sure that this profile is a bot. So it's super complicated in this area to, to have some clear conclusion and say, okay, this profile, this network is, uh, is full of bots and we don't have a clear process and clear tools and good tools uh, at this moment. So this is what I'm trying to improve on my side. And another part is also to, uh, when you have all this data, when you when you are able to do this kind of analysis, you need to, to understand what is happening because if there is a manipulation of the traffic, uh, there is some schema and there is some, some way to manipulate the information. And at this moment, we don't have, we don't have the big picture on how the traffic on social network is manipulated. So it sounds like you're, it's, it's like proper detective work almost. There's a lot going on and a lot in a lot of different areas and you really need to kind of dive deep to, to find them and to make sure you're identifying, like you say, a, a, an account that is spreading misinformation and not actually a, a real account that is spreading, uh, you know, a really strong opinion, I suppose. Yeah, and uh, the complex part is, again, the data, having access to the data and knowing what you have to capture. For example, 
right now, uh, when you are doing a Twitter analysis, you have the free way is to uh, use the streaming API exposed uh, by a Twitter. But for this API, you need to tell to Twitter, okay, I want to listen, I want to capture all the tweets where the word election, European election, uh, far right, I don't know, whatever the word uh, is, I want to capture all the tweets with these words. But maybe, for example, in Europe, we will have some election uh, this weekend. So I started a capture. But sometimes in France, uh, people uh, are doing some typo in uh, the word European. You have some mistake in the word. So you have to be sure that you, you are capturing all the tweets related to this topic. And this is super complicated to know all the current hashtag on this topic and to, to be sure, okay, I have all this data. I have all the data on this topic and I'm sure I can draw some conclusion on my data set. That makes sense. And that leads me quite nicely into the next question I wanted to ask you, which is, I guess you've seen a lot of um, elections and, and politics posts and, and tweets and opinions. And what's I wanted to get your thoughts on how you think this is evolving the type of politics that we have. Uh, there is multiple things in this question. We saw that a social network uh, has an impact uh, on, the, on the elections. So Donald Trump uh, was able to win uh, the election because of Facebook and uh, because he was very aggressive on Facebook and he was able to target a lot of people and to reach uh, a bigger audience thanks to, to Facebook. So Social networks are really important in the election and it will be more and more important for sure. So the election process changed uh, because of social network and we are re realizing that this is different. We need uh, all politicians need to understand how it's working and this is very complicated for this generation to say, okay, something is happening on Facebook and I need to, to use this tool. So they, they are seeing a social network as a tool to to reach more, more people. But we saw also that this tool, the social networks, has been used uh, by a country, by entity, in order to manipulate election of the election of another country. So as a technician, as a security researcher, as an infosec professional, uh, we need to ask yourself, uh, what is happening? Can we do something against that? Can we create some tool? Can we fight this phenomenon? Uh, and in the politician side, in the lawmakers side, they need to, to vote some legislation against that and to, to understand this phenomenon and try to have the proper law against this kind of thing. But this is, and this is a conversation I had uh, very recently with the French government, with some top officials of the French government. And this is something very new. And this is something government, they have a lot of difficulty to understand that. And they understand that something is happening, but we don't know yet how to fight this kind of thing. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And it's really interesting, actually, to hear you kind of talk about the work you do with the with the government because I wanted to ask you do you think kind of a lot of the issues around cyber security but also misinformation on social media is that kind of do you think that's eroding trust in 
institutions like government agencies uh, and do you think I guess as well related to that sort of like you like you mentioned is that kind of something they're not really that aware of or capable of tackling on their own? I think we we should uh, fight and find we should be together. This is a responsibility of government or on countries to to find vulnerabilities and to uh, be unsure the security of product used by his citizens. Uh, but this is also uh, the responsibility of the infosec professionals, and we need to to work closely uh, with governments to be sure that nobody abuses the vulnerability out there, and uh, that a minimal of the minimal security is unsure for everybody. And uh, the other point is also, I think government and countries uh, should uh, teach to young people uh, the value of personal data, the good way uh, how they should react when, for example, a random website is asking their address or personal information. There is news in this modern world and we have to teach to young generation uh, how to how to react and what they have to do uh, against these kind of things. And personally, uh, as a dad, this is something I trying to teach to to my kids and say, okay, this is not maybe uh, this website is asking you uh, your personal address, your personal number. But do they need it? Uh, why they are asking you this phone number? In a lot of cases. Uh, the answer is quite obvious. No, they don't need it. I can just give them a random number and, and that's all. That's a really good point about making sure that we educate, you know, from a really young age around the importance of personal data. And I think it's something that we've seen quite a lot in the press is that actually there are, there are these really big data leaks happening and everyone just seems to be a bit like, oh, well, about it. And you're right, like our personal data is so valuable to us that we should be taking care of it much more. The next thing I wanted to ask you, Baptiste, just to bring us right up to date with, with what's going on in the news right now, is I wanted to get your thoughts on um, the Huawei and Google and USA and China kind of debate that's going on right now. And, you know, do you have any thoughts on um, Google's decision to, to not carry on or, you know, Google's position it's been put into to make sure it can't support Huawei devices going forward? Yeah, uh, this is a very, very complicated topic uh, because this is a mix of a lot of uh, different uh, decisions uh, and areas. There is a geopolitical side of in this story. This ban is the consequences of the Trump policy and the trade war uh, between uh, China and, and the U, and the US. So this is, this is the first, first point. Uh, Huawei has also a lot of issue, uh, all over the world, uh, because they used to get personal data. I don't know how to say that, but yeah, they have some problem with in different countries. <laughs> and I think, in my opinion, we have right now in a new uh, cold war this is a modern cold war because this is this ban is a way for the us to say okay we have the master here and uh, without the google uh, services on your phone you are dead in this market and uh, this is clearly the case because the direct consequences of the google 
decision is uh, Huawei is not able to install uh, the Play services on the Google apps on his device. And without this, uh, you are clearly dead on the Android uh, market because people, when they buy a phone, they want to have all the Google services. They are buying an Android uh, device uh, to be in the Google ecosystem. And plus, if you don't have the Play services, you can be sure that almost nothing is working on your Android phone because developers in general, uh, when they are developing, implementing some feature on, on their application, they are using API uh, from the Play services. And if you don't have these Play services, the feature implemented by people, by the app developers, uh, will not work at all. So because of this ban, they cannot sell Android phone outside uh, outside China, for sure. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and kind of that brings me on quite nicely to uh, another question I wanted to ask you. Um, so you kind of talked about the sort of complexity of the situation. And it sort of seems to me like you've kind of got quite a mix of different actors and agents in this kind of whole sort of scenario, right? Um, so I'm kind of going to ask you about the kind of role of sort of states and also the role of corporations in in kind of all of this and who you think is kind of accountable for kind of actually protecting citizens and, and I guess as well how how accountable are citizens for protecting themselves too and who do you think we should actually trust? My issue with the Huawei uh, story on the Huawei ban is we as a user as a citizen we are only seeing uh, the consequences so, okay, uh, Google ban Huawei. Uh, Huawei is not able to use the Google services. But we don't have the technical information behind that. And maybe Google has clear evidence that uh, Huawei was abusing its services and was uh, dumping personal data of uh, its user. And this is my issue here. Maybe the US is doing a good job here in this decision because Huawei was abusing his position. But as we don't have the, the evidence, as we don't have the, the proof, I'm a little bit suspicious. And on my side, I managed to find some evidence that on some Huawei phone, Huawei was uh, dumping regularly as uh, a personal data of his user but i will be happy if google uh, publish a paper uh, regarding huawei regarding what they found and i will be happy also if the us give a, pre a press release a press a statement saying okay we ban uh, Huawei, we are fight, fighting Huawei, not just because of trade war and political and whatever the political reason behind, but because technically there is this issue, this issue and this issue. So the, the role of the states and the corporation is to ensure that his customer, to ensure that his citizen is well protected against uh, this uh, kind of thread and this kind of menace, uh, this kind of thread. His responsibility is also to say, to explain to, to his citizen and client, uh, why uh, their decision and if there is a real danger here. Because without any uh, explanation, we are not sure about the real reason be behind, uh, this kind of decision. And regarding the trust, 
Yes, it can be uh, it can be a problem. Uh, it can be a trust issue if this kind of institution, this kind of company corporation, is not explaining uh, what they are doing and why they are doing this. People can start to be suspicious and can have an advice and believe. And this is what I don't like in this kind of situation. And this is something I'm seeing a lot on Twitter, for example. A lot of people is using the word uh, believe. I believe Huawei. I believe the US. I believe China. But I don't ask you to believe to something. I want to have fact. Uh, because behind this decision, there is some fact. So yeah, let's have the fact we can read it understand it and after that we will have an opinion but this is not a question of faith or, or something else no that that's a really good um explanation actually and, and i guess kind of the issue is it is hard to sort of trust kind of different levels from from a kind of state level down to a more corporate level Lee, i was going to ask you about um regulation do you think regulation can play a role but i guess as well like one of the issues with regulation is um there's kind of a conversation beyond that right about the rights of citizens and the role of citizens before you can regulate because um, obviously i guess one of the issues like as you kind of mentioned is that without transparency regulation becomes kind of a non-issue right yeah yeah i think uh we need both we need uh transparency and we need regulation and this regulation uh, should be here first uh, to fight uh, the abuse on social network for example to take a an example on Twitter, you have a lot of porn bots, you have some spam bots, you have some crypto bots, or uh, all this kind of thing is well known uh, by professional, is well known by Twitter, but they don't care because people are, are cre creating this kind of bot and they have more and more users and this is good for their company. They like to have more and more users. So they don't want to fight this bot. And this is where we should have uh, some regulation to say, okay, Twitter, you have to fight this kind of bots. Uh, this is, this is your duty to fight this kind of bot. And this is a clear abuse of your platform. And this bot are used, uh, to, to abuse people, to get money, money from them. And this is not good. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I guess kind of related to that, I was going to ask you about technology solutions as well. But again, I mean, are there kind of technological things we can do? Or do you think it's kind of almost about the sort of policy decisions and internally and sort of at a state level that kind of come before the technology sort of implemented to ensure people are protected? It's not just a technical um, question. I don't think uh, the final solution will be uh, only technical. We have enough skills and uh, in enough experts uh, working for government uh, to find uh, the proper solution to find uh, to fight uh, this kind of uh, this kind of uh, threat. Like uh, I'm sure, for example, at Twitter they have enough people. They have very skilled people who are able to detect all the bots they want. It's more uh, political uh, view, and uh, also we need uh, to educate. Uh, people in general, but we need also to educate uh, people in the tech uh, sector to say, okay, this is not because you can do it that this is okay. Uh, some stuff are uh, not ethical and you have the technical uh, possibility to do it, but 
no, don't. This is again, this is just non-ethical and don't do it. And as a company, as a technician, as a developer, you don't have to do it. And this is something I'm trying to push also when I'm doing some conferences and saying, okay, you are an app developer, but for example, if your boss is coming to you and saying, I would like to have an application which is tracking people uh, during their day-to-day work, what is your decision? And as a developer, we need to to say, no, this is not okay. I, I will not do this kind of thing. And this is something pretty new. This is not, we don't have, as far as I know, uh, this is not something in engineering school. Uh, people are not, don't have any uh, ethics courses or this kind of thing. So this is something pretty new for the tech sector. And we need to include ethics inside our product. That's a really great point. And I think we're starting to see that a little bit more with, you know, like the Google walkouts that people are saying, hang on a minute, is this the right thing to do for our users and, and you know, for the general population? To talk about the other side of that relationship, have you got any advice or any any tips for, you know, just the normal person out there? What what can we do to, to you know, to push back on, on the, you know, how our data is being used or, you know, how, how we're being tracked or, you know, what, what can we do to protect ourselves a little bit and to say to these big, big corporations and, and um, institutions that actually that's not okay. We don't want that to happen. So my my way, uh, my take is quite simple uh, for this. So what I decided to do uh, two years ago was uh, I was in my living room on my couch. Uh, just uh, I was working on my personal project. And one day I decided to, to publish what, what I was doing. And I managed to find a lot of vulnerabilities, a lot of data abuse in phone. People start to listening and people start to say, okay, this is interesting and we should do something against that. And in general, this is my my advice. If you are finding an abuse, uh, a data abuse, or if you have some question, you have to ask uh, this question. You have the right to ask the question, send email, try to call people, try to contact people uh, by any any ways, email, phone call, whatever. And maybe you will have, it will be complicated, but you will have some answers. And this big company in general don't like bad publicity. They don't like public shaming. And uh, the most we have to use communication as a tool. So as the InfoSec professional, this is what I'm doing. I'm using communication to push company uh, to fix their issues. And sometimes I'm trying to contact company privately in order to responsibly uh, disclose an issue. They don't answer for weeks, but when I'm publishing the issue uh, publicly on Twitter, uh, you can be sure that one hour, two hours after the, the issue is fixed. This is something obvious, but these kind of guys uh, don't like public shaming and they don't like when people show their vulnerability on issue uh, on social networks. So if you are finding something interesting, yeah, just say it, try to contact them. And if it not, if it is not working, yeah, contact people like me, contact you you will you will find a way to expose what what they are doing. 
That was a really great conversation and I think Baptiste underlines just how important it is for every one of us to play a part in arguing for our digital rights and standing up against organisations and institutions with different interests. Absolutely. And I think the point he made about ensuring children are educated on issues like privacy is crucial. We really need to move towards a future where we see ourselves as digital citizens, having a stake in social media platforms and products that often we use quite blindly. So that's um, all for this week. And remember, you can follow Baptiste on Twitter. Just search for Elliot Alderson on Twitter. And we've also included a link to his profile in the episode notes. And remember that you can follow us on Twitter as well, at Pact Pub. And to stay up to date with key issues in the tech industry, you can take a look at the Pact Hub. So thanks to Baptiste for talking to us. And thank you as well for listening. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.